Us old ladies can't remember words. The cigar of the sky. Michelle, I'm calling you. I'm calling to you from Australia still. Hello, Australia calling. <laughs> it's a, that was meant to be my Eurovision voice, I but it didn't so. work. <laughs> um, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How is it in the mountains? Well, you know, I've got the ski tan. You've got the sun tan by the look of you. Yes. Well, I have to just say it is raining. It is raining here. Oh, really? So it's not always sunny in Australia. Fucking bastards. How's that bloody bird? Speaking of bloody bastards. That bloody bird <laughs> is still there, but I'm managing to sleep through it now. Not through it, but I managed to go back to sleep once it's gone to bed. Oh, thank God for that. That bitch of a bird. You don't need that bitch of a bird. No. But let's just say one thing for sure that we do need is each other. So we can talk to each other and say, you're eavesdropping. I'm Geordie. And I'm Michelle. Welcome. Another fabulous comedic episode of your favourite podcast or one of your many favourite podcasts. In fact, your top five globally listened to podcast, Eavesdropping, the comedy storytelling podcast. Do you know what? I will say I wish we were top five. That there is a difference between top five and top five percent. That's right. There is a percentage on the end of that. Comment. Correct. But yes, we are still. Come on, kudos to us. Q. I just said kudos. Kudos to us. Top five percent. I think that's pretty. I good. know, but we are someone's top five. I know that we are Callum's top five. There's a young man called Callum in London who thinks that we're up there in his top five. Love you, Callum. Shout out. <laughs> Spread the word. <laughs> Tell all your friends to get eavesdropping. Tell all your Gen Xers, no, Gen Z friends that we are very exciting to listen to. We certainly are. Would you know what? When you just said Gen Z. Yes. Yes. It reminded me of Jen. Jen, your mother, Jen. Mother hen, Jen. Mother hen, Jen, Jen the hen. I have a little shout out actually oh. to Jen. Jen's not been well. Oh, Jen. She's been in and out of the hospital, but she's fine. She's drinking a glass of wine and having kebabs, so she's absolutely fine now. Well, she's been on my mind, so I'm glad that you're feeling better, Jen. Lots of love from me. But I did want to tell you something that she told me. What did she tell you? Jen had to go under emergency surgery and under general anaesthetic. Poor thing. When she came out, she doesn't know whether this was a near-death experience <gasps> fentanyl or something else oh but God. she said that she hadn't woken up she wasn't in recovery yet she hadn't come out of the general anesthetic and she said all of a sudden she felt herself somewhere and she doesn't know where she looked around and she was in a factory what she was in a factory and they all had on these 1950s shower cap style hair nets <gasps> Oh, my God. And it was a Chinese factory. And all the workers were Chinese. (laughs) Well, she was in a Chinese factory. She looked up and she yelled out, where am I? And she's like, I'm not meant to be here. I don't want to be here. I'm not meant to be here. And then, boom, she was back in her body. Oh, my God. 
Did anyone say, can you be quiet, please, missus? They're trying to get some kip in here, <laughs> shouting away behind the curtain. Look, I don't know that she was actually shouting in her physical Out loud. body, but yeah. she said it, it was really intense. And like I said, I don't know if this is a near-death experience, if it's just the drugs, if it's Jen's crazy mind. That would freak me the fuck out. Shout out to you, Jen. <laughs> you may have just survived an NDE. <laughs> yeah, I think that was an NDE or it was a multidimensional crossover. <gasps> Jen is on the astral plane. <laughs> Absolutely. You're the UFO fancier. I'm the multidimensional fancier. Well, speaking of UFOs, actually, I sent you that picture and I said, zoom the fuck in above the mountain. What did you think? Hang on. She's talking about a picture which I used on our eavesdropping underscore at eavesdropping underscore Instagram account. If you're not following, then why the hell aren't you? For the episode before the last week's, which was Falcon Lake. It was the social media picture. There was a picture in there of the Zermatt Mountain. What's that called? The Toblerone Mountain? The Matterhorn. The Matterhorn. It's, it always, it's one of those words that just slips out of my brain. It's, it's a beautiful shot. Who took that picture, Michelle? Did you? Me. I took it. It's stunning. Did you filter it? Thank you. No, that is no filter. Natural. Wow. That is absolutely unfiltered, undoctored. It was how it came out. If you zoom in, and I don't know if you can because I've turned it into a little video clip. If you zoom in, there is a white dot above the mountain. It looked like something shining in the sky. It was quite unusual. It was like cigar shape, portrait, not landscape. It was. I get it. Horizontal. That's the word you're looking for. Horizontal. That is exactly what I'm looking for. Oh, fuck Us old ladies can't remember words. The cigar of the sky. The famous... UFO of the Matterhorn. I've seen weird lights in the sky here and I didn't even notice it. And I'd sent that picture to a friend who said, is that a UFO above the mountain? And I was like, what the fuck? So I'm saying yes. I'm saying 2023, year of the UFO. Well, it could well be. It's going to take me a little while to get into Mm. the swing of 2023, not four. I have something to tell you which came via... A listener by the name of Big BK. He's a friend of ours. I'm saying he's a listener. I don't think he is. But he should listen to this because he told me something that's in the news at the moment, Michelle. You won't know because you don't care about the news. I'm a a bubble baby and I love it. I love being in a bubble. I'm the boy in the bubble. In your own world. Well, Big BK told me and his lovely lady friend, Sarah, both told me this fascinating story. And I went and researched it on BBC News and I found out this. And everybody else listening will know this. But I'm going to tell Michelle. Let's listen to her response. So there's a man by the name of Andrew Tate. Do you know who that is? No. He is the self proclaimed king of toxic masculinity. He's a misogynist influencer. Sounds great. Right? What a fuckwit. Yeah. Just putting that out there. Just parking that word. (laughs) He's a 36-year-old British-American, so he's best of both, who appeared in the UK Big Brother TV show when it was on in 2016. So he just came on as a contestant. He wasn't anything before that, apart from a martial artist, like an established martial arts champion or something. He kind of used that as a platform to launch himself as the misogynistic influencer and you'll hear why because he was removed from the program after seven days because a videotape emerged of him it was pornographic and it was of him whipping a woman with his belt 
And so they were like, well, that's he's got to go. This guy's not okay to have on TV. We can't be rooting for him. So let's get him out or whatever they thought at the time. Afterwards, it turns out that woman was consenting. But he had been heard since then publicly announcing that women, this is quotations, should bear responsibility for being sexually assaulted. That's one of his beliefs. What? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's like saying she was asking for it. Exactly that. So he's been removed and then reinstated by Elon Musk from Twitter. Now he's back on Twitter where he decided to have a little bit of fun with the 19-year-old environmental activist Greta Thunberg. He tweeted her. Can I just tell you, she's Swedish and I have this on good authority. We don't care. Greta Thunberg. I'm just saying anyway. Well, I'm not going to say that. No one's going to say that unless they're Swedish. I'd look like an asshole, so I'm not going to do that. But he tweeted her the following in quotations again. Please provide your email address so I can send a complete list of my car collection and their respective enormous emissions. Now, this guy's got shitloads of cars and he likes to boast about his enormous car collection and he doesn't give a shit about the footprint or the emissions. He's got the pictures of himself filling her up and it says <laughs> that, that it's got dick pic energy when he posts shots of himself at the servo. Servo station, that means in Australian. And so Thunberg, she replied, oh, yes, please, do enlighten me. Email me at smalldickenergy at getalife.com. <laughs> well Go done, Greta. <laughs> so her comeback was retweeted and liked 3.5 million times. It was retweeted and liked and liked and liked. He didn't want her to have the last word. So this dickhead then sent this ranting video of himself looking like a see you next Tuesday in a dressing gown, sucking on a cigar, was going on and on saying things like, thank you for confirming you have a small penis. The world was curious and I do agree you should get a life. So he's just, it's not funny. He doesn't seem to understand her fantastic comment. And he also said, bring me pizza and make sure the boxes aren't recycled. Now this guy, apparently, I didn't know this either. So I'm as dumb as him. Apparently pizza boxes can't be recycled. Yeah. Somebody off shot gives him a pizza box. And that was his undoing, Michelle, because what wasn't known at the time was that he was hiding out in Romania because he's wanted for a lot of horrible things. <gasps> and the police or whoever it was that were looking for him did some clever, clever policing and discovered where he was because of the label on the pizza box. And they were able to shortly after swoop in and arrest that guy and his brother Tristan on some heavy-duty sex trafficking charges. Oh, my God. Here we are just thinking this guy's just a fuckwit. Yeah. He's actually fucking evil. Foisted by his own petard, as they say. Exactly. So some people say, well, that's not why he was arrested. They were on his tail anyway. But the pizza boxes did help with the location, some people say. There is some controversy around this particular story that I'm telling you. But Mm. the upshot of it is... He wanted attention by tweeting Thunberg and he got it just as his arrest was made. So the press were there, pick, 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 taking pick after pick. So he's kind of looking like a dum-dum and an asshole all at once. And Greta Thunberg then followed that whole day with another tweet saying, this is what happens when you don't recycle your pizza boxes. <laughs> Respect. Undone by a pizza. Uh-huh. Undone by a shitty fucking comment to a 19-year-old girl. Yeah, who absolutely slayed him. 
And he yep. had no clue because he's a dickhead. Fuck, man. Okay, I've got to start reading the news. I'm missing the good shit. Yeah. I love that he got his comeuppance. Me too. Do you know what? I'm just going to wait for the Netflix series. What Netflix series? Oh, on him. It's going to be a Netflix series. Yeah. Come on. I'd rather not give that person breath, to be honest. I'd hate for celluloid film to be wasted. I know they don't film in celluloid anymore. <laughs> I realised that as soon as I said it. But... You know, waste of energy. A bit like when we were talking about Nixium last week. You know, you don't really want to yeah. give those awful people the airtime. Airtime. Yeah. Also, it actually helped catch this motherfucker. Thank God he has small dick energy. And do you know what? I, I was going to say, anyone who has that many cars, pinky dick. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and that's the word from Michelle on the street. It's a PD. Pinky dick. But I was going to just quickly tell you a little something that I found out just, I don't even know how, by accident. But a couple of weeks ago, one of our listeners, well, two actually, Jane and Lucy Beacon, twins. They get mentioned so often, bless them. Well, recently. They do. This is the year, 2023 stroke 24 is the year of the Beacon twins. Let them reign. But no, it was more about, we had talked a little bit about how... If one of them passes yes. over, they've given each other a code word. Correct. Well, do you know who else did this? Who? Houdini. Ah. The escapologist. Yes, I think we've even talked about this, haven't we? No. I don't know, but there is a Kate Bush song about this. Yes, that's right. It's called Houdini. It is called Houdini. In fact, and I did a little bit of digging into this because I was so intrigued by it. So... Anyone who doesn't know who Harry Houdini is, he was an escapologist in the 1920s. And he 100% thought that mediums and, you know, spiritual channelers and people who could talk to the dead and seances, he thought it was all fucking bullshit. Oh, did he? He absolutely did. And he spent his life uncovering them and exposing them as frauds because, you know, he was such a good fraudster and magic trick artist himself. And he felt really terrible that people were in pain and sorrow and going to these mediums and being told bullshit. He told his wife, if I die, here's a secret code word, Rosabelle believes. Because that's in the song by Kate Bush. It is. The thing is that she went to all these mediums. She never got the message. One day, a medium said, I have a message for you. It's Rosabelle. And then during their magic acts... They had a special code and the code was given to her by, and no one else knew this code except for her and her husband, Harry Houdini. A code was given to her and it spelt believe. And she lost her shit. She was like, fuck man, the other side is real. And then of course, everybody said it was a hoax. They said that she had gone to the the spiritualist and they'd concocted this whole thing press and money and you know selling books and whatever and so we'll never really know we'll never really know so jane and lucy i thought that was amazing that they are following in the footsteps of of the late great harry houdini you got the vibes you got the vibes i have a story for you and I'd heard about this story, but now that you're in Australia and I'm a little bit homesick, so instead of pining for that Aussie sun slash (laughs) rain, I dug deep. Yes. Actually, not that deep, but I found a case I think you're going to find insane. Are we talking 
a true crime case. It's true crime. Are we on true, true crime? crime time? Oh, it's true crime time. So I'm pulling you out of New South Wales. Okay. And I'm taking you up. I'm taking you up to Queensland. Not to Bruce Vegas. No. Not going there. Okay. No. We are going to Queensland in 1997. And look, Australians probably know this case, but it didn't really get a lot of traction overseas. Mm-hmm. It's the case of Marion Barter. Oh. So before we get into it, I just want to say that in the late 60s, Marion Barter was married to Johnny Warren. Who's that? Well, anyone of, of a certain age living in Australia and who was into sport will know he was... Australia's top soccer player, and he was the captain of the Socceroos. Okay. And he was really influential in getting uh, young people into soccer, which is why I knew about him. AKA football. Yeah, football. But, you know, Socceroos. You can't say football ruse. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. But, you know, it was a quick marriage. They divorced two years later in 1969. And then Marion had two more husbands, divorced both of them. You know, according to reports, she was a bit of a dreamer. And she's was always on her quest for like to find the her one true love. So I just want you to put a pin in that because this will come into play. Back to 1997, Marion Barter, who was 51 at the time, she started doing out of character things. Two years earlier, she'd bought a house for 180 thousand Australian dollars. That sounds like a lot back then, is it? Yeah. I think it. I think it was yeah. because one hundred and eighty thousand bucks back in the late nineties, you could get a fucking mansion for that. So I don't know how. I don't know what kind of house she bought. What did she do for a living? Well, she was a kindergarten teacher at the Southport School, and by all accounts, she was an excellent teacher. The mm. kids loved her. The parents loved her. She was really inspiring to the point where, in nineteen ninety six. A year before our 1997 timeline, yeah, she was awarded the Queensland Teaching Excellence Award. Oh, wow. And she was given that award by Aussie publishing legend Ida Butros. Uh, but on the 25th of April in 1997, out of nowhere, Marion sold her house yeah. for a loss in a quick sale. Oh, no. And she sold it for 165000 mm. which is 15 grand less than she paid and... 15 grand in 1997. It's a lot. It's a fuckload of money. Mm. Like, that's probably, you know, between 80 and 100,000. Wow. And just for nothing. So she took a hit on that house, but she told her family, I've had enough. I just want some time out. And she planned to go traveling overseas for a year. And that's why she told her family she was selling the house. And honestly, why she just didn't rent that fucker out and go traveling with the rent money, mm. who knows? But I want you to keep that in mind. I am pinning that. Pin, pin, pin. Then on 20th of June in 1997, Marion resigned from her teaching job. That she was so good at. Yep. And she resigned on a Tuesday. She was like, I'm done on the Friday. She wow. got four days notice. Yep. And she was like, I'm going overseas. I'm going to go to England and be a teacher. But she said, I'm going for a year. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to renew her teacher's certification for the next school year. You know, implying that she was going to be coming back to Australia after her year away. Yeah. Um, Then she gives her daughter Sally 
Sally Layden, her name is, uh, her car, some furniture, which is all on loan until she's back. Mm. And she puts the rest of her stuff into storage. Then on June 23rd in 1997, Marion's friend Leslie drives Marion to the Southport bus station so she can hop on a bus to Brizzy Airport and she's off. Marion is on her way to the UK via Tokyo for trip of a lifetime. That sounds like something I once did. <laughs> well, you know, I get it. But in context, she's 51. Yeah. She's not 21. Yeah. And she's got kids and a job and, you know, a house and a mortgage. Yeah, and a life. And, you know, she's ditched it all. Yeah. And it's hasty. Now, the thing is that there was an odd incident before Marion left that freaked her daughter Sally out. And it happened in March before Marion had put her house on the market and quit her job. And it happened one night when Sally had gone to the local Maccas, which was located in a, a petrol station. Yeah. She pulled in and from where she was parked, uh, she could see the pumps. It was like the car park for Maccas. This is Sally, the daughter. Yeah. And she could see the petrol pumps. She could see the entrance to the Maccas uh, when she got out of the car. And when she looked over, she saw her mum, Marion, at one of the petrol pumps uh-huh. about to put petrol in a car. But when Marion looked up and saw her daughter, Sally, looking right at her, yes. she froze. <gasps> she froze. What? And more than that, she put that fucking petrol pump down got in the car, reversed out of the petrol station the wrong way Mm. and sped off. Really fucking weird. Yes. Thing is, Sally says her mum was not alone in the car. I wondered. She says there was a man in the front seat. Ah. But because of the petrol station lights, she reflecting off the windshield, she couldn't see him. She couldn't see him. But she said there was definitely someone in the car with her mum. Up to some hanky-panky, Marion. Sprung. Well, good honour, you know. Yes. But why can't she tell her daughter? She's already been married three times. What's wrong with having another beau? Who knows? People do strange things, don't they? Yeah. But let's fast forward to the day Marion left Australia to go on her trip. Because on her passenger card, which everyone used to have to fill out when entering or leaving Australia. And I don't know if they still do that. Did you have to yes. do that when you went in? Yep. Yeah, okay. So they give you this piece of paper, you have to fill it in. And it's very long-winded. You have to say all sorts of things like where you're going, what's the address. You can't fit it all in. And what's your occupation? Yeah, all that stuff. Who cares? Well, this is why you should care. Because (laughs) on her passenger card, she wrote that her final destination was the UK, that she was divorced, and that she intended to reside permanently, not in the UK. But in Luxembourg. Oh. And what's bizarre is that Marion had not said anything to her family about Luxembourg ever. Oh. In fact, at that time, all they knew was that she was going away on a holiday for a year and then was coming home. But another thing the family had absolutely no fucking clue about Mm. was the fact that on that passenger card, it was signed, not Marion Barter, but... Flora Bella, Natalia, Marion, Ramekel. Wow. Who? <laughs> yeah. And how many fucking names do you want to have? Turns out Marion had legally changed her name by deed poll one month before leaving Australia. Oh, my God. But back in 1997, no one knew this information. Not oh. her family, not the police, 
no one. And it was decades before authorities put two and two together yeah. and realized that Marion Barter was now Florabella Ramekul. But at the beginning of Marion's trip, the family didn't really have any cause for alarm because she was sending postcards to her kids. She was calling all the time. She was telling the family she was having a great old time. And in those days, with no mobiles, you had to rely on the person who was away to call. Yeah. Or you had to have a very detailed itinerary that they shared with you. Yes. To understand where they were, right? Yep. So the only thing the family had to go on were the phone calls and the postcards that she was sending. There's no pings. There's no mobile phone masts pinging. No. And she's not sending texts. She's not on social media. It didn't exist. No. So the first postcard that Sally received was sent on the 30th of June from Tunbridge Wells. Oh, I know it well. Yes. The Garden of England. Then... In July, Sally gets two more postcards from Marion from Sussex and London. An elderly relative got uh, a postcard that had been postmarked from Marion from Brighton. So she's not going far. She's hopping around, but it's really all quite local. Yeah. Then on the 1st of August, six weeks after she'd left Australia, Marion calls her daughter Sally for a chat. Uh-huh. And they talk until Marion runs out of money. Oh. And on the call, Marion tells Sally she's in Tunbridge Wells yeah. and that she was going to stop sending letters and postcards and presents. She'd been sending presents as well um, because it was getting too much. It was just too much. And she was like, I'm away. I just, you know, it's, I feel pressure. So to let her hair down. I know how you feel, Marion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing you. And then the money ran out. The conversation ended. And that was the last time Sally ever spoke to her mum. Oh, no. After that, there were no more postcards, no more presents, no more phone calls. As promised. As promised. And because she told Sally that she was going to dial down all the calls and the postcards, Sally wasn't too worried until the middle of October when Marion didn't call her brother Owen on his 23rd birthday. And this was not like her at all. She never missed a birthday. And in fact, apparently she always made a huge thing of birthdays and celebrating you. So this is when Sally began to get a bit worried. And she started calling around the other family members to check if they'd heard from Marion. And no one had. And not knowing what to do, because basically Marion was incommunicado. Sally went to the Commonwealth Bank to see if she could get any information about where Marion had made her last withdrawal from. Now, I find that a bit odd. I'd just go to the fucking police. But anyway, she'd gone to the Commonwealth Bank explaining that her mum was overseas and that she was worried for her mum's safety. And, of course, the bank said to her, No way. No way. We can't disclose any personal information to their customers, not even to the daughters. They did have a note on file that Marion had set up bank accounts through the Commonwealth Bank overseas and she told the Mm -hmm. Commonwealth Bank she was going abroad and that she wouldn't be contactable. So the bank had that note on file. However, the bank then checked Marion's bank accounts and they saw some really unusual banking activity going on with her Aussie bank accounts and they were like, fuck, maybe we've got to let the daughter know about this turns out on August the 2nd, which is the day after the last phone call to Sally from Marion, 
money started being withdrawn from Marion's account in Byron Bay and Burley what? Heads. Yep. The day after? Yes. She called from Tunbridge Wells? Yes. How bizarre. And not just a little bit, 5000 Aussie dollars per day oh. had been withdrawn from her bank account consecutively for three weeks. Oh, my God. That's definitely a fraud star. Oh, man. And Sally at this point is freaking the fuck out. So she drives to Byron Bay with pictures of her mum to see if anyone – she's walking the streets going, have you seen my mum? Have you seen my mum? Have you? Does anyone remember seeing her? No one had. At this point, does she know that she's Florabella or – No, no. She's still Marion. No. No one knows yeah. that she's Florabella until more than 10 years later. So oh, okay. basically – She's like, fuck, I have to go to the police. So she goes to the police in Byron Bay to report her mum is missing. But they brush her off and they don't take her seriously. And then a couple of days after Sally went to the police, 80,000 Australian dollars was transferred (gasps) out of Marion's account. But bizarrely, the bank, Commonwealth Bank, claims they don't know the account details of where that money went and they were not able to track the account. And I'm sorry, but that just sounds like fucking horse shit to me. That is bizarre. They should have fucking shut it down. Yeah, you would think so. When the daughter's calling and the police are now involved. Because, do you know what? Those kinds of amounts back in 1997, that's big money. And it's totally dodgy. You know, now they would just put a, a stop on it and wait until you contact them saying, no, this is absolutely fine. But no, they just let the bank accounts get cleaned out. Mm. Then a few days after, the Byron Bay police call Sally saying, oh, we've located your mum. Uh, we've spoken to her and she says she doesn't want anything to do with you or a family and she doesn't want to be found. Wow. She doesn't want a location wow. known and basically piss off. Sorry, that's the end. And no. Sally's like... What? She's incredulous because it does not add up. She had all the phone calls, the postcards, the gifts. That's crazy. That's not someone who wants to start a new life and just disappear. But the police say, well, I don't care what you say, Sally. We're satisfied. Case closed. And she was struck off the missing persons register. Oh, my God. By this time, Marion's accounts cleaned out which meant the family had no further way of tracking where she might be. And interestingly, the bank accounts Marion had opened in the UK and deposited money into for her travels, untouched. Yeah, empty. Oh, untouched. Untouched. How did they track that down? Through the Commonwealth? Yes. And from that moment on, the trail went cold on on Marion. Wow. So... When Sally's wedding day rolled around the the next year, she was certain that yeah. if Marion was alive... 98. Yes, that right. she'd be there because she'd been helping Sally plan that wedding before she left. She was really excited for her daughter. And when Marion was a no-show, that's when Sally really knew, knew. something had happened. Marion knew the date of the wedding yeah. beforehand. Before she flew off, she said, oh, I'll see you get married. Don't you worry and all that kind of all stuff. All of that. And but then she just didn't show. Going back, Sally's got her car, her furniture, like Marion's got stuff in storage. It was all just on loan. So they were all expecting her back. And look, Sally repeatedly for years went to the police 
begging them to look into it, like what happened to Marion. Please, can you put her on the register as a missing person? But they refused. Because they'd had word from Marion, apparently. This went on until 2009 wow. when Detective Senior Constable Gary Sheehan from Byron Bay Police opened an investigation. But it wasn't a real investigation because he was like, listen, I can't give this priority. I can do this in my spare time and on slow days. Why did he do that? Because I think he saw the desperation that Sally was like, no one's helping me. No one's Uh listening. So he went to investigate, you know, all the previous documentation. All those original files were gone. What? Gone. Missing. So poor old detective Gary, he had to start the case from scratch And honestly, what the fuck happened to those files? You know, where had they gone? Maybe it just went missing. Maybe there's something sinister. I don't know. But in some ways, it was a bit of a blessing because having to start from scratch meant that he had to go right to the beginning. And that's when he found out some shit that no one had uncovered before. Because he was the one who discovered that Marion had changed her name by Depole just months uh, before she left in 97. Thing is, he also found out another piece of information, which was that Marion, or, and I'll put this out there, someone claiming to be Marion or traveling or under her passport right. with that name, Florabella Natalia Marion Remakel, they arrived back in Sydney from London on the 2nd of August. Oh, my God. The day that Sally, yes, the day after Sally had had that last phone call with her mum in Tunbridge Wells. Get this, her incoming passenger card, and this is why you need to fill those out. Yes. Her incoming passenger card said she's a married woman. The last time it said she was divorced. She's living in Luxembourg. She does home duties. And she's only staying in Australia for eight days. And August the 2nd, like I said, was the day after Marion had made that last phone call to Sally. Yeah. The same day, the money started disappearing from Marion's bank accounts. Are you listening to me? Why are you crying? Dropping dropping trolley. Murdered. Now, I've seen this passenger card and I think it's weird. Same writing? The daughter, Sally, well, she's seen it and she said, Yeah, she said this handwriting is definitely her mum's writing. What? But when I look at it, the passport number, it's in a different pen ink and it's different writing. It's not the same. And I'm just going to put this out there. They grabbed two. I think so. Because you know what it's like on those planes. They're just handing out those passenger cards willy-nilly. You can easily get a couple. And they're the same going back and forth and they've never changed in all the years. I mean, the ones that they used in 1997 are probably the same printed cards that I used the other day in 2022. Exactly. And, you know, you can get extra ones. You know, you just just ask for them. So it is not out of the question that she may have had extras and she had filled them out. Maybe she was coerced into writing that. Coerced, exactly. And maybe that's why there is a weird, for me, a weird discrepancy in the way the numbers are written and in a different Mm -hmm. ink to what the rest is. So anyway, I'm also going to put this out here. For me, this timing does not add up. 
because if Marion called Sally the day before from Tunbridge Wells, okay, so we all know it takes 24 hours or more to get to Australia. If she was in mm-hmm. Tunbridge Wells when she called Sally, it takes she hours. She needs to get to Heathrow. Australia is uh, 10 hours ahead. Yes. And it takes 24 hours to get there. But that would mean she would have to have left even earlier. Yes. She wouldn't have gotten there until the 4th of August. Exactly. So this timing does not add up because, you know, first of all, she's got to get to that airport. Then there's hours hanging around an airport just to get on the flight. Then there's Mm. minimum 24 hours. You've got the time change. It does not add up. Who boarded that fucking plane? Because if Sally is correct with her dates of that phone call, this does not add up. Now... Two other things the detective discovered in uh, 2009 was obviously like that passenger card with the name change and the deed poll. He also discovered the passenger card of somebody coming back to Australia. Uh So they're the two things we know. Another two things, 13th of August, 1997, Marion's Medicare card was used in Grafton. This is all northern New South Wales. Yes. Now, she didn't go to the doctor. She went to an optometrist and she used her old name, Marion Barter. Mm. She was not going there as Flora Bella. So who went to the optometrist? Was it her or was it somebody pretending to be her who just needed some new glasses? I don't know. Because when you go to Medicare or a hospital or an optometrist, if you've got a Medicare card, that's all they they look at. They don't check ID. Who knows? whoever went there. The other thing that Detective Sheehan discovered was after that time, Marion's passport as Florabella Ramekel never left the country again and the Medicare card was never used again. I've got a lot of questions at this point, Michelle. And I'm wondering if uh, poor old Marion, who loved love, there's no doubt about that. She was married so many times, but no shade. I've been married three times. But (laughs) I feel like perhaps she's the victim of some kind of coercive control from a master manipulator who set this all up. And is he a policeman or does he work at the Commonwealth Bank? That's my questions. Look, I definitely think she has been catfished. Yeah. And I've got a few answers for you. Maybe coming right up. Fabulous. I'll just quickly dial back a bit because the detective also looked into a 2002 Crime Stoppers tip. Okay. When basically a guy rang in and said a missing woman called Barter had been murdered and was buried in bushland near Armadale, near the university in Armadale. Where's Armadale? Is that north of Sydney? Inland? It's New South Wales. Yeah, it's inland. And look, as wild as that sounds... The detective, to his credit, he was like, I'm going to check this out. So on his own time, he got a cadaver dog, went down to the site and spent two days searching for the dog. But For the body, maybe the dog was searching for the body, Mm -hmm. perhaps. Not searching for the dog. Yeah, because that's what you said. Is that what I said? (laughs) Oh, sorry. I meant searching with the dog, not for the dog. Sorry. (laughs) We all make mistakes, Michelle. 22, 23, 24. What's she on about? Silly bitch. So look, after all of this, you would think that the police would be like, okay, Marion's missing. Nope. It was not enough for them. They still thought that Marion 
alive and well and didn't want to see anyone ever again. Yep, pretty much. Because what they said to her was, listen, listen, Sally, you know, they, we've looked at the case. Your mum came back. She withdrew all the money. She's disappeared. Case closed. And that makes so much sense to them. Well, they just didn't want to give a shit well, about this. They just, it was too hard. Maybe they had a big caseload. Yeah. But, you know, this is someone's mum. Yeah. You know, and it's been going on for decades. Mm. So in terms of police involvement, that was that. However, there was a weird thing that happened in 2011 after the Byron Bay Missing Persons Unit mm. removed Marion from the Missing Persons yeah. Register. 2013, Sally got a Facebook DM from someone she didn't know called Clark Hunter. Oh. Sounds like a fucking made-up name to me. <laughs> and it said, Natalia is alive, but you never see her again. Oh. It was not her intention to disappear. She was forced. What? Now, Sally screenshotted this message and went to the police with it, but again, was never investigated. Who's Natalia now? Well, remember, she was... Florabella. Florabella, Natalia, Marion, Romeco. So, the case went cold until... 2019 when reporters Alison Sandy and Brian Seymour from Channel 7 News in Australia teamed up with Sally to create a podcast called The Lady Vanishes. By Sandy and Seymour. Yes, I think I have heard of that. (laughs) Well, look, from that moment on, things in this case went wild. Yes. Within a month of the release of this podcast, a little bit like eavesdropping, not really, The Lady Vanishes had more than 1 million downloads. It's now at over 12 million. And a little bit like Teacher's Pet, it forced the police into action, Mm -hmm. but also internet sleuths got right on this case and thousands of new tips and theories came in amazing you see guys if you want something done you need to refer to a podcast we fix everything don't we michelle we do but there was one piece of information that everyone had missed except one person she was just a true crime enthusiast listening to this podcast and got a bit obsessed fabulous i love this so ex-social worker Joni condos She had listened to the podcast, like I said, obsessed, Mm. trawling through databases and archives to see if she could find anything on the name Ramekul. Yes, that was my next question, by the way. Who the fuck is Ramekul? Why did that random name become part of her name now? Listen up. Listen up, Jordy, because you are about to have your head blown off by this crazy shit. So Joni's on the couch and she's like, I'm just going to give the newspapers a go. And so she went through these newspaper archives And after a bit of digging, boom, she got a hit. In a French-Australian newspaper, she found a Lonely Hearts ad that was placed in 1994 by a 47-year-old man called F. Remakel Mm -hmm. from Lennox Heads, which is about two hours' drive from where Marion lived. It read, and I quote this, 47 years old, single, large, brunette, sober, non-smoker, University graduated, intelligent, multi-home owner, multilingual, genuine, morally aligned, searching for a lady with a free heart, looking for a permanent relationship or marriage. Okay. For a long time there with all those words that you started to say, I couldn't tell Mm. if he was talking about himself or that's what he wanted, like a large brunette with multi-homes. Okay. 
No, that's what he's saying. Right. He's passing himself off as a catch. Yeah. Like, I'm smart. I me. speak all these languages. Yeah. I'm advertising in a French newspaper. Yeah. Basically, Joni was like, fuck, I'm onto something. So she did another search yeah. and she added this guy's age to the search criteria yeah. of the makeup. So clever. I know. And do you know what? She only got one hit from an address in Luxembourg. Oh. The same country Marion said she was married and living in yeah. on her passenger card. Then uh, someone who had been listening to the podcast went to one of the libraries in Australia to find a physical copy of this ad. And from that, he got a phone number. And that phone number was in use in 1995. And it was registered to a company called Bellina Coin Investments. Mm-hmm. And the company was owned by a married couple called Frederick and Diane de Hadaveri. They are the grifters who have fucked poor Marion over. Fucking catfished. So Joni and Sally collected all of this evidence, everything they had. They put it all together and went to the police with it, who finally, after 22 years, took this seriously. Oh, my God. And a fucking podcast, you know, poor like Marian. kicking them into action. Yeah. The police then assembled a task force to look into the case. And they started with this guy, Frederick, Mm -hmm. who, when they tracked him down, turns out he has more than 30 aliases. Yes, of course he does. And he has changed his name by deed poll 12 times. Because he's a rotter. He's fucking dodgy. And his wife is as well. She's in on it too. No, No? she's a victim. Is she? Yep. So in June 2021... The New South Wales State Coroner launched an inquest into this case where Frederick was the main topic and a string of ex-partners and girlfriends and wives were in court to testify as to what a fucking asshole this guy was. He's called Rick Bloom, Nick West, Frederick Ramakel, Fernand Ramakel. He's got all these other Mm. fucking names. All same guy. And... Pretty much all of these women had met this guy through Lonely Hearts ads. Oh, gosh. And then he'd whisk these women away on an exciting, romantic, expensive adventure. And then he would ask them to sell their houses mm-hmm. or use their savings to, so they can start a new life together. Yeah. And if they said no, he would then ask them to invest in his new business, okay. which was going to be a sure thing and make loads of money for them. And his ex-wife, Monique Cornelius, took to the stand and read out this fucking crazy letter that he had sent her in the 80s when he was using the name Frederick and he was like, we're going to be on a yacht and we're going to, you know, leave the country. I just, I love you, all this bullshit. And then Monique told police in a statement, Frederick was always lying, that he invents and tells stories and then other stories to cover his back. And that's how he manipulates. And she said he manipulated and lied to me. At the beginning of our relationship, she said he told her he worked for the British Embassy in Luxembourg Mm. as a special agent. Guy is out of his mind. Then Diane de Hadaveri, the fourth wife, she said they had both lived in Luxembourg. And they also had lived in a village near Tunbridge Wells. Oh, God. Which obviously was the last place Marion called from. Yeah. And that he had asked Diane to invest all her money in his coin business because he wanted to trade in rare coins. Mm-hmm. So then another ex called Janet Oldenborough said a man called Rick West, one of his aliases, 
had wormed his way into her life after her divorce, where she, as a result of the divorce, had been given the house. Rick convinced her to move in with him on the French Riviera, but when they went to make the move, he said he wanted power of attorney over her and her property. Oh, God. Just in case something happened. And look, I don't think she did it, but when they left for their new life, he basically had all of her identity papers, the title deeds to her house, passport, everything. Oh my God. And then conveniently, while he had them, they all got stolen. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that Janet and Rick slash Frederick slash fucking crazy catfish man, he'd taken her on a holiday to all the places Marion had sent postcards from. Oh, wow. Tunbridge Wells, London, Brighton, Sussex. All the same places. Then in February 22, almost a year ago, they got Frederick in court. How old is he now? He's 80 years old and this tiny little man who's all hunched over. But don't let that fool you because this guy is a fucker. And he basically said, I never knew Marion. And all those women who had testified to his character saying he was a manipulator, he tried to coerce them. Um, they sold his their houses, gave him all the money. He said, they're all lying. Lies, lies, lies. He denied everything. But where the fuck is Marion? And there had to have been somebody else helping him unless it was Marion that was still under his spell. I don't understand. Well, we know that people are under spells, especially after we'd heard Nixium last week with yeah. Keith Ranieri. People can be brainwashed. But, you know, the court had heard woman after woman basically giving the same account of this guy being controlling and manipulative and playing on their loneliness yeah. and trying to get his hands on their houses and their money or to get them to invest in his shonky business. And all of the stories were so similar to Marion's that the court kept saying, where's Marion? Where's Marion? Tell us where she is. And finally, he did admit that he'd had a four-month affair with Marion from February to June uh, in 1997, the same month that Marion left Australia, right? which could make him the man in the petrol station, right? I would assume so, yeah. And then he did admit that he placed the Lonely Hearts ad under the name Fernand Ramekel and that, yes, Marion had responded to a message and that they'd met three or four times at her home but without his wife's knowledge and that he'd ended it before she left for Europe because he said she was a sex addict (laughs) and he called it off. It was too much. (laughs) I I doubt that that is accurate. He may have had the second wife or the third or fourth wife at the time, but he also married her and made her change her name to Florabella Natalia. Or something else fucked up was going on. There must be some kind of marriage certificate somewhere because Marion believed she was married to him. And she got a new fucking passport, Australian passport in that name. Yeah. You can't do, I mean, you know, maybe by deed poll, but... So who countersigned it? I don't know. Come on, police. I have not seen that documentation. (laughs) So basically, at the coroner's court... He denied knowing anything about her or where she went and he claims he has no idea what happened to her after he called it off because she was a sex addict and he had no idea or any involvement in the money being siphoned out of her bank accounts despite the fact that he travelled to Europe on June 17, 1997. That's the day she Five days 
before, oh, before. Marion okay. left right. for the UK. <gasps> and then, get this, yeah. he returned to Australia on July 31, two days before Marion, Florabella, mm. re- supposedly came back to Australia under the Remacor passport. Yeah. I Dodgy. wonder if uh, she wasn't in Tunbridge Wells when she said she was. Who knows? There's no way of checking, is there? She's calling from a payphone. Yeah. Those records are long gone. Look, you know, people I've seen on the internet, people say, oh, maybe she had mental health problems. Maybe she did want to disappear. No. Maybe she was catfished. Sorry. Is she alive? Has she been murdered? No one fucking knows. Yeah. And the upshot here is basically the coroner was scheduled to hand down a verdict on the 30th of November. 2022 so just a few months ago but on the 29th of November it was announced that the findings had been vacated which basically means the their their findings in this case have been postponed following further investigations so watch this space Michelle watch this space but as far as I could make out from looking at the documents Frederick fucking Ramekel was not charged no Enough for nothing. He's been charged with nothing because oh, he was just denied, denied, denied. Bastard. Marion's never been found. Her daughter, Sally, still has no answers, but it's an ongoing case. There's now a reward for 500000 Australian dollars wow. for info leading to an arrest or finding her. So, look, you just never know no. how this is going to play out. And, look, there is so much more to this case because this podcast, The Lady Vanishes, goes on and on and on for, like, yes. many, many episodes. So, I'll put that in the show notes. Okay. It's, it's easy to find this podcast, but... That is where we're at in a nutshell. Oh my God, Michelle. I think I'm Mm. addicted. I think I need to get listening to that podcast immediately. I want to know. And I think you eavesdroppers are going to have to suddenly have an interest in this because this could be something that much like other stories like the teacher's pet like and teacher's pet melissa caddick we keep coming back to with more and more and updates. it runs and, it runs, runs, and runs. runs it's got legs poor old marion barter remake yes. or whatever where she wants where is she where is she look you know apparently her pension's never been touched uh-huh. her bank accounts have never been touched yeah like come on you can't live in australia you know it's fucking expensive no, there she's you cannot live She's not alive. No. Someone's run off with that money. So, you know, I will put a link and if anyone has any information, you never know. Maybe you know something. Um, You can get in touch with Crime Stoppers. But that's the story of Marion Barter. Oh, thanks, Michelle. That is a sad story. Thank you for enlightening us on the Marion Barter tale of intrigue and twisty turny. Very unusual. It's bizarre. And like I said, Australians probably know this case, but it has not had a lot of traction overseas. And um, yeah, I hope if you did know this case that you heard maybe some new information, maybe, you know, there were some facts you didn't know. If you've got any ideas or you want to talk about it, get in touch. Do write in. Hello at eavesdroppingpodcast.com. Exactly. And don't forget also the Patreon page. We do we do have little goodies on there. I did mention it before. We would love you to sign up if you have a spare dollar or two to contribute to our fund. <laughs> Not fund. Like we give you things back. You know, we get extra, you get extra content on there. You get 
deep dives, you get small dives, you get kid-friendly content, and you may even get a badge. We're working on all of that. But you know, Geordie, aside from all that, there is only one thing left to say. Yes, indeed, Michelle, and I will tell you what that thing is. It is, wherever you are, whatever you do, just just keep keep eavesdropping. Eavesdropping, 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 e